Everyone, welcome to the Uxta Podcast. Today's episode is a visit with Pete McCarty. Pete is the person I think of as like the world's greatest song leader, jam leader in the ukulele world. So I'm going to bring Pete up here with me. Hi, Pete. Hey. <laughs> and uh, I've been bugging Pete for a long time to say, Pete, would you come in and visit me? And he's always like, sure, I'll do it. But then we're always so busy. So I'm, yeah. It's a summer. It's a summer day here. I'm still off of work. Uh, Pete's been dealing with some neat neck stuff, so he's had more open schedule than he's typically had. So um, <laughs> I, I think it'd be just great for people to know, like, what do you really do, Pete? Because people probably think you lead ukulele stuff all the time, and that's a hobby. But what do you really do? Well, I, I hate to admit this, but I'm actually a Navy SEAL. Um, I don't like to admit it because I try. I, I go undercover all the time, and uh, well, actually, more of a Navy whale. We kind of like, you know, we hit the beaches before the Navy SEALs, and you know, roll around and make noises to distract people and that kind of. I I work for my local government, is what I do. I work, it's a it's a county government, and I am a I'm my job is very eclectic, and what I mean by that is, is I do many things. Um, I make retirement awards. I make signs. I make 3D signs for buildings. Um, I, I frame resolutions and proclamations for commissioners and for mayors. And if somebody comes in, a celebrity comes in, they have me make things to, to give them, that kind of thing. It, it, it's really a off-the-wall kind of job that you wouldn't imagine somebody having. Uh, and it used to be a lot more involved than it is now. I used to actually do uh, photography for the county. They would they would take these photographs and uh, I would, we had a print shop at the time. Uh, it's since closed about almost three years ago. And we would print out these large scale pictures and I would go around and take different different shots for the, uh, for the county. And then whenever you went in the county, if it was a color picture of a landscape or a building or something, that was something I did. And um, it's really, it's really, the, the best way to put it is it's not one particular job, and yet it is. I get to do a lot of things um, throughout the course of the day, and a lot of it's different. A lot of it, oddly, is the same, because you're still doing the same thing, even though it's a different sign or it's something like that. So it's a really cool job. It's a really cool job. And I've been doing it, oh, I've been doing it 15 years now. So now, you lately, do bring lately. ukulele to work, right? I have one at work, yeah. I always there's always well I, always, I got one sitting right in front of me. There's always there's always a ukulele somewhere, and the one that I have at work is an outdoor ukulele, and and it's perfect for that. It's every day. It's something to play, something to strum uh, on my lunch break. Um, before COVID, uh, I used to go places and just sit out. I'd get me a salad or something. I'd sit out and play. Uh, for 30 minutes, 40 minutes at, at whatever restaurant I was at. I'd try to find somewhere outside to sit. And I did that for years. Uh, I would sit outside and play and, and sing and get people to sing with me and stuff like that and people to throw their food at me too. So, you know, you never know. So, But uh, I, I always have one close. I used to keep one in the truck. And so, like, no matter where I went, I always had one. And... The one that I have in my shop right now is the one that I always kept in my truck, so I would have it with me. But COVID kind of changed a lot of things. COVID, when it came through, I, I very rarely leave the building for lunch anymore. Um, and part of that has to do with 
I used to be able to go out, eat lunch, leave a tip for about $7. If I was going out now, it's 20, no matter where you go. And things like that have changed, but I'm always, I'll still go, I'll still play during my lunch hour and uh, stuff like that. But, and, and actually I still try to, to arrange songs during my lunch hour. So. Do your coworkers I, say anything to you about your ukulele playing or anything? Most of the time, all my coworkers know that I play. Um, I actually had a person come in, which is so funny. I had a person come in on uh, this last Friday and she walked in my office and she's walking around and I've known her for years and she walked through my office and she was like, she, I had the, uh, I still had the tripod set up on my desk and she goes, what's that tripod for? And I said, well, every Friday I do a, a show on Facebook. She's like a show. I said, yeah, I do a show on Facebook. Uh, and I do a sing-along, and I, I use my book. And she's like, you have a book? And I showed her my book. She said, well, why haven't you told anybody about this? I said, I, everybody knows that I do this. And she's like, no, I didn't know you have a book. I'm like, yeah, I have a book. And uh, I said, we had a festival last year. We brought in, you know, a few hundred people for a festival. And she goes, well, why didn't you tell anybody? I'm like, I told everybody. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where, you, where you've been. But um, so anyway, yeah, they, they used to... When, the whole time that I played during COVID, I was actually physically in a closet. And it was a closet that was off, two rooms off of everywhere. So you had one side room, then you had another room, and then you had the closet. And the closet's where all the IT stuff was, the phones, all that stuff. And so I could go in there and shut the door, and the door would lock, and nobody, nobody would bother me, but they could hear me playing. They knew I was playing somewhere, but it was just real quiet. Well, now that I have my own office, and I'm in my in my area in my own office, and I shut the door. They can hear me all the way to the other side of the building, so they all know when I'm playing. They all know when I'm singing. You know, I've had people knock on the wall, and 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 I get out, and they're like, "You think the people heard me knock on the wall?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I think they did." And they get the biggest <laughs> kick out of that. So, yeah, always got to you close, and you do too, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, before you did this. Did you? I know people may maybe didn't understand, but you were in the Navy. I was in the Air Force. You were in the Air Force. Okay, so you were in the Air Force. I was, I was in the Air Force. I was in the Air Force from '82 to '86. Okay. Uh, because I'm because I'm old. I was I was in from '82 to '86. <laughs> I thought it was the so Navy, but Air was, Force. And what yeah, did you do in I the Air Force, Pete? I, I joined when I was 17. I was a dental assistant. I was in the trenches daily fighting tooth and gum disease. It was, man, it was a tough war. I, I, let me tell you, I mean, you know, say what you will about being, you know, in all these exotic places, but being a dental assistant, my, and I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, it was, a, it was, they always say it's an event. It's a, it's, it's not a job. It's an adventure or something like that. I'm like, I had a job. It was a job for four years uh, being a dental assistant. And I got to do all kinds of things. I mean, uh, it, in the medical field, they called us secondary forces. So anybody like dental assistants were, they were second. You had primary forces, which were your nurses and people like that, your doctors, your nurses, and then you had secondary forces, which if the primary forces were called up and they were called out uh, because of a uh, uh, status of war, um, secondary forces would go in. And like me, I was trained to do blood pressures and and BP. Uh, uh, I mean, BP is a blood pressure, but blood pressures, fever check all that kind of stuff, uh, do like sponge baths, clean people. And, and so, every, I mean, I got to be in every aspect of, I got to, uh, every aspect of a hospital. I got to 
be at work in radiation. I got to work in the ER. I got to work all these different places. And uh, so I got a, I had a lot of experience in a lot of different things uh, within the military itself. But I sure, I tell you what, you think about it now, here I am, I'm, I'm pushing 60 years old. And if I had retired, I would have been 37 when I retired. And because I joined when I was 17, I would have been 37 when I retired. And I and, and you think about that, think about the fact that you know here's another, you know what, 32 years. It it goes so quickly. It just goes so quickly, all the time. So, did you visit any other places in the world while you were in the while you were in the Air Force? Did you serve anywhere? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now I will tell you this: my dad was military, and I was born in I was born in Munich, Germany. And we were in a lot of places. Dad was a lot of different things. Uh, at, at his last position, he was in 101st Airborne in Kentucky. But I was in Fort Knox, Fort Leavenworth, uh, uh, Fort Riley. Uh, we were in, I can't remember what the name of the base was in Washington that we were in. Uh, and I can't remember the other one. But we were all over the place for years. And he retired and he retired in 72. Uh, and but it, it, he, with him, we, I mean, I, like I said, I was born in Germany and came back. But I was, being in the Air Force, I wanted to go overseas. And you have an option when you, you first go, like after you get out of basic, they give you a wish list. And you say, where, where do I want to go? And where can I go? And I ended up in California. And I was there my whole tour. I always, here's the thing, too. I always wanted to go somewhere. And so they have the thing where you can do a jump seat. And so you can be on standby and go in a jump seat. So every weekend every weekend for i don't know how long i would go and i would sit and i would try to get on a jump seat and go somewhere and the one time i got to go somewhere i went to epi warren which is like south dakota and but all the things were like and if it was hawaii or somewhere like that really cool where they were going to go for the weekend they'd come in and they'd say okay who's on standby we got 13 and i would be number 14. or hey we got 12 positions and i'm number 13. i never got to go anywhere uh, except I would go out and get on my motorcycle and I went to every bit of the West Coast. Anywhere I could go on the West, West Coast. I went to Oregon and Washington. Uh, I went to, went, went across over into Canada and came back and, which was really funny because I got to Canada. I got to Canada and I didn't have a passport. And I had my military ID, but I didn't have a passport. And I told the, I told the, gentleman that was there and he goes well you know i can't let you in without a, a passport i said i just want to sail to canada he goes really i go yeah he goes run over there and i i said okay so ran over there and i stood there he goes you're in canada now get back here and go on your bike and go i go okay i was in canada and uh and years later with through the ukulele years later i got to go to nova scotia which is a beautiful place have you ever been to nova scotia i have not that's one of the places i haven't been yet I I was I was wonderstruck at how beautiful this place was, especially on I guess that's the east coast. I'm terrible with geography, but I guess it's on the east coast of Nova Scotia. And we went to a place called White Beach Resort. And any of you out there that ever hear this, uh, White Beach Resort is uh, it's literally like it says, it's on the beach, and they had the cutest little rabbits. And I think somebody brought a domesticated like seven domesticated rabbits and let them out. And now they have hundreds everywhere. 
and they all want to be fed and, and they give you the, the like at the at the desk they'll give you a little bag of rabbit food and you walk around and all these rabbits are running up to you and they'll let you feed them and it i'm talking about hundreds of rabbits and they're under the the cabins they're in the bushes they're in burrows everywhere it's the coolest place and i want to go back there because the the towns that are around it are very picturesque and beautiful and all the colors and they apparently don't get a lot of snow being on the east side as the people on the other side get a lot of snow towards Maine. But uh, that was a beautiful place. And all through the ukulele. Now, I didn't get a free trip, but because of the ukulele, I wanted to go up there. They had a, a ukulele cave uh, up there in Liverpool. And I wanted to go, and uh, there were some people playing that I knew at the time, and I wanted to go see. And I got to go up there, me and my wife, and it was my first time being out of the country. I actually made a video a while back. Um, I mean, well, after we got through, I made a video of the trip. We were sitting there feeding bunny rabbits. It was great. So, ukulele has taken me a lot of places that I never got to go in the military. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Now, did you play music while you were in the Air Force at all, or did, was I, that not a part of your life? No, no. I've been in music my whole life. Um, five or six years old. I've, I've told this story before, but five or six years old. Um, my brother got a, my brother would have been ten, and he got a guitar. And his comment was, as he got through playing it and setting it down, "If you touch this, I will literally kill you." And which meant I had to play it. I mean, that's the law, right? As a brother, as a sibling, if he says, "Don't touch this," that means you have to. It's, it's a written, understood law. By and, the way, is uh, that your brother? That's now the pastor. My brother is the pastor. Yeah. So. Yeah. Pastor Greenlaw Baptist Church, and uh, yeah, I'll kill you. And um, yeah, Mister, I you know we talk about that all the time. He laughs. He goes, "Well, I got you to play, you know, guitar, didn't I?" So I, I started playing then, and I would pick it up. And in the back, we had a, a room that had a piano in it. It was my mom's sewing room. And in a basket back there was a bunch of songbooks for the piano, and one of them didn't have any covers on it. Uh, it was a Glenn Campbell songbook, and then the other one was a Baptist hymnal. And I would go through, and the chords were above, written above. It was G chord, and it would actually had the chords in the Glenn Campbell book. And then in the Baptist hymnal, there was a, a chord. It would tell you what the chord is. So I would go to the the Glenn Campbell book and figure out what the chord is, and I'd come back from the songs that I knew. I would play out of the hymnal, and uh, so. Some of the first songs I ever did was like 500 miles. You know, if you leave, of course, if you miss the train I'm on, you'll know that I am gone. That was like one of the first songs. And then there was a, a book called John Denver's, I think it was called Anthology. And it's this big, thick book. And so leaving on a jet plane, uh, 500 miles, and some of those, those were the first songs I ever learned how to play on a guitar. And so by the time I went in the military, which was, like I said, 17, I, I've been playing for years. I've been playing his guitar. And uh, I bought it when I got out uh, in California. I bought a guitar and I played all the time. I played all the time. I love music. And, and uh, the whole time I was in school, from the fourth grade on, I was in band. I was in high school band and uh, I played a saxophone. Played all three. Uh, well, actually, four, technically, right? Yeah. And, and I played all four. And uh, I always had music. Always had music, always loved music, but it was guitar. I enjoyed it. Uh, I did it 
and I, I was okay at it. I was never great. Um, let me rephrase that. I don't think I'm great on the ukulele either, but my point is I enjoyed it, and but it was it never touched me in my heart like a ukulele does. Something about it, something about the ukulele, it just appeals to me. And when I, matter of fact, when I first learned how to play, um, I was trying to learn how to play a mandolin. Uh, I just started working at my this job. Had a coworker that loved instruments too, and he brought me this mandolin in, and he said, "Hey, I want you to learn how to play this." I said, "Okay, give it to me. I'll take it home. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll play some fun." We'll have some fun with it. And so I used to always take a different instrument to learn how to play them. And so anyway, long story longer, <laughs> I, was on, I was on YouTube in its infancy. And I was on YouTube and I was looking up, I typed in beginning or beginner's mandolin. And the very first thing that pops up, of course, is Jake Shinbukuri. Now, I have no idea why he showed up as the very top one above all these mandolin players. But I'm like, I clicked on it, I'm like, that's only got four strings, what is that? And he's talking and he's doing, you know, he's, it's, it's a, now a fame, the one where he does, well, my guitar gently with famous now. Back then it probably only had like, like 50,000 views on it. And I was like, man, check that out, what is that? And he was playing it and I'm like, I have any idea what that is. And so then I went down to where it was posted uh, and looked in the comments and 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 people were saying that's a ukulele, and I'm like, oh, ukulele. I'm trying to figure out how to spell it correctly. And so I went, typed it in. Next thing I know, I was, I was, uh, what size is he playing? You know. And then I realized what it was. Once I started looking at it, back then, it was, it was, it was, uh, what was it called? Guitar Friends, or you know, you you've got Guitar Center, and there was yep. one back then. It was, it was either like. Guitar Friends or something like that. I can't remember what it was. The same. It's basically Guitar Center, but it was under a different name. Okay. And I cannot think of the name it was, but um, I got a I got a uh, Lanakai tenor. And unlike today, when you ship something, it took like three weeks for me to get it back in, and just waited impatiently, wanted to get. It. And as soon as I got it, I took it out and I tuned it up. And I wanted to learn over the rainbow and started realized that the correlation between the finger pattern, uh, between that and the guitar and realizing, Hey, this is all the same. It's just a different name. And, and you're missing two, two strings and, you know, just kind of doing the correlation going, oh, okay. Well, so within a few minutes I was playing it. And, and, but I, by that night, I got it in the afternoon, I opened it up by that night. Uh, I was sitting, we were in our, when we first moved into the house, we had two chairs in our bedroom, two easy chairs in our bedroom, and I was sitting back there picking it. So after that first night, I was like, man, there's something about this. I don't know what it is. So I took it to work the next day, played it the next day, came home, played it. And every night I would play my wife to sleep. I'd sit there and play and figure it out and that kind of thing. And one day she's like, why do you always play this when I go to bed? And I'm like, oh, sorry. I thought I was being nice. <laughs> I was playing some soothing music. She's like, yeah, it's soothing, but why do you have to play it when I'm going to sleep? I'm like, I don't know. And uh, so that started me playing in another room. But um, that was my my first experience with it. 
And after that, I started, they call it UAS, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's like you got to have another one. The problem with it was, at that time, I went all over Memphis trying to find another ukulele. And at that time, the only one that they had anywhere in Memphis was in a music store called Lane Music, and it was a soprano Martin. And it just, it didn't hit me. I, I played it, and I looked at it, wasn't really impressed with it at the time, and uh, so I started ordering them offline, and you may know this as well as I do, it may look fantastic online, it may be beautiful, but the one you get may not sound worth a darn. So I had a bunch of ukuleles come in, I had a few of them that I just loved, I had a few of them that I just did not love, and I would sell them or I'd trade them, and um, I had, I don't know how many I had at one time, but it was like every time I get one that I enjoyed playing, it just made me love it even more, and that's where I've been. Uh, even up to this last one I just got, I got a, um, I got a Bonanza Baritone. And yeah, this is a brand new one and maybe one of Pete and Shelly's last, right? It, it may be. Um, they, uh, well, I'm really close. Hello. Um, <laughs> so this is, this is, it's, it's a thin line, but it's, it's, it's open body. Uh, it's not solid. It's uh, it's an angel. It's it has this just beautiful tone. And can you hear that pretty good? I don't I don't really have a good microphone set up. That sound good? Yeah. Okay. Um, but even up to this last one, this last one. Like I said, you, you get something, you, it, these days, sometimes, you know, in the old days, I'm not trying to be rude, but are you almost the same age as me, or are you, are you like, I'm 20 just, years younger? No, not that much. I'm only, like, 10 years behind you or so. Okay. So, do you remember, if you were a music fan, when you were young, you'd go to a music store, and walk around, strum different instruments, pick them up, play them, and the world that we live in right now even custom instruments, a lot of times you don't get to play them right. until it shows up at your house. And, and unfortunately, in the world that we live in, you don't get that opportunity to try it out before you spend the money on it sometimes. And that's one of the things about Bonanza for me is Bonanza has consistently put out a good product for me. And so I've enjoyed that. I mean, another one, there's, there's several others too that I, I stand behind and I've had some some custom instruments that I've made that I adore, but those custom instruments, even though I should be playing them all the time out and just enjoying them, I use them more for recording. Um, and I do I play all my instruments. Don't get me wrong, I play all of them. But the ones that go out, the jam sessions, the ones that I just bang around and all that kind of stuff, all of those are bonanzas right now. Every one of them. Uh, the ones that are my custom instruments that I have that I use for recording. I sit in here and I use them to play and I record and I enjoy them and I absolutely adore them, but they don't get near the use that the bonanzas do. But yeah, that's how I got my start on the youth. Jake Chumbukuri, probably butcher his name, but uh, I absolutely adore the guy. As <laughs> as you were growing up, um, you know, you were all over the country, but when your dad settles in 72, that's the year I was born, by the way, it was 72. Uh, uh, did he root himself in Memphis? Are you, are you did you grow up the rest right. of your Memphis? Are you a military family, dude? No, no. Okay, so one thing that, that 
a lot of people may not realize, for the most part, and I've, I've been wrong, but for the most part, a lot of the people that are military end up settling in, if they get married, they end up settling in their spouse's environment because some, because a lot of times dad would be somewhere without us. He would be in, uh, like at the time we were in war in Vietnam and different places. So he'd be, he'd be on tour and, you know, we'd have to be somewhere. So we'd be where my mother's family was because there was always somebody close by. And I don't think it has anything to do with whether you're a, a male or female soldier. It has to do with you put your family where you know they're going to be safe. Yeah. And so a lot, a lot of it was we were we were stationed. And when whenever uh, we were, he was gone or somewhere, uh, we would always be in Memphis. So yeah, we always ended up in Memphis. And when he retired, uh, we already we already had a house and we ended well. Let me take that back. We had a house in Memphis, and when he retired, we moved out to the country. We went out to um, uh, went out to a little area called Rosemark or Barrettville, which is just north of uh, of Memphis for a few years until my mother got sick. But yeah, we were always in Memphis. So I mean, that's why I sound like I I sound like a, a Memphian because I've been here forever uh, for most of my life. We always traveled around. We go places. We'd end up back back here in town. So. That's why I got that smooth southern dialect that everybody talks about so much. Uh, but music's been a part of my life forever. My my mama loves music. Mama loved. She loved Elvis. Um, she really loved Elvis. She knew. I mean, Elvis's mom knew my mother's name. Uh, knew her first name. You know, Noma. Now he's not here. He's gonna have to go home. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so I think I was. I think it was part of my genetic code is to like Elvis. Growing up, then in Memphis, were you aware of the musical impact of that town, just on music as a whole, or was it just part of just growing up and you didn't think about it? I really didn't think about it. Um, so let's let's talk about this a little bit. People that are in Europe they're like they're either like huge elvis fans or they're the blues fans or something like that and and what you have to realize is memphis is just like every other city on earth and what i mean by that is if they're going to have nightclubs and places to go and things like that most of the places are going to play whatever the current music is but the only place you're going to see blues usually played is in a, a street where there's tourism uh, you can't, so a lot of people come here to visit, they'll go to these little bars on the outside of town and different places, and nobody's playing blues, and they right. don't understand it. And I'm like, look, yeah, we were famous for that. And if you go down and where there's tourism, uh, Blue Street Cafe and all these different things, you're going to hear the blues. And go to B.B. King's, you'll hear the blues, uh, because that's what they're known for. But if you go out in the real world, people are playing current music. And so even when I was a kid and when I was growing up, I mean... Uh, you went somewhere to a bar somewhere, they were playing Journey or, or somebody like that, you know. It was current music. So that's what I heard. But, I mean, my mama was a, a country music fan, and she was an Elvis fan. And so a lot of the stuff I heard growing up, going around the house, was old country music. Uh, and Elvis, of course. And so I've always been a fan. I've always loved him. Uh, I will continue loving him. And and But I don't think people realize when they come here that that's not, you know, that's not the current genre of stuff that's going on. Whatever's current right now, and uh, 
Miss Swift is is making you know a huge impact on everybody out there. So everywhere I go, people are playing her music and other music here. You're absolutely right. I mean, and and Beale Street, of course, is like you know the unique you know differentiation there, right? You know, down downtown and that that whole historic uh-huh. district. Um, yeah. Which leads us to the topic of Memphis, uh, connected with ukulele. You decide that it'd be fun to play with some people, and this leads to an entirely different chapter in your outside of work life. So, what happens there? That's that's, that's true. Uh, let me make a statement before I do that, real quick. Though that that was the Memphis ukulele flash mob, and that they did they changed my life. Um, but the statement I want to make before that is working in the county, being in the archives. Uh, they used to have jug bands mm-hmm. and I have pictures, I have pictures um, that were framed. And unfortunately I've had to let officers have them, but I had it for a while. Uh, and it was called the Memphis jug band. But basically what it is, is there's a group of, of people playing and one has a jug and then there's, there's ukulele players. And people don't realize that Memphis had ukulele players before they just fell out of fashion. And uh, Memphis Mini, uh, she played ukulele all the way up until the 70s, and people, you know, she'd go to people's classes and play ukulele for them. Uh, and so ukulele in, in town has been around for a long time. It just fell out. Nobody wanted to play it. And I can tell you from my own experience, the only, the only uh, experience I ever had with a ukulele was on Saturday mornings as a kid. They would have, like, Bean Crosby and Bob Hope movies, and they'd have a little ukulele doing a vaudeville act. And I remember seeing it then going, oh, yeah, that's what that was, you know, and never realizing that there was more to it than that and realizing that it's, it's actually a, uh, a wonderful uh, instrument with a lot of diversity and, and, a lot, and a lot of things that you can, variety, and you can do anything on it, literally any song you want. They even wrote classical music for ukulele. So it's, it's <laughs> anyway, but a lot of people don't realize uh, that Memphis, before I ever came along, Memphis had a ukulele history. Someday I'll have to show you the picture. I've got it. I, I can find it real quickly when I'm at work. I'll send you a copy so you can have Very a picture cool. of this person. Find. Yeah. But uh, Memphis Ukulele Flash Mob came about when I started playing ukulele. It took me. It took me six years. I started. I started in 2008, and it took me six years. It was about 2014 to uh, to meet other people that played. And what it was was I at that time. I've been going up to Minnesota talking about Silver Creek International Ukulele Carnival. I've been going up there at the time and, and playing and uh, trying to find people to play with here in town. I would go to churches and leave messages on their boards. I would go to music stores, you name it. I left notes saying, hey, anybody want to play ukulele? Nothing. I had nothing. And there was a, there was a, a, a person here in town, uh, a local performer. Her name was Risty, uh, Misty Ray Holton. And or just Misty Ray, she was a local performer, and she she had kind of gotten out of one job she was doing in a music store, and she was trying to to earn some cash, so she decided to do ukulele lessons. And granted, I've been playing for six six years at that point. Um, I went. I thought, well, maybe I can meet other people that want to play at this class. And I can't remember, there was like some people that had been, uh, there was like a young lady or a young gentleman that played ukulele and the kids were, their parents were getting the ukuleles for the kids uh, because this guy had done it on, I don't remember, American Idol or something, you know, at the time. And so I looked out that way. And 
so I went to her class and I paid her 10 bucks a pop to meet people in her class and ended up, there was a gentleman here by the name of Tim Jackson and real charismatic guy. Just, just, I mean, you think I talk too much and your podcast is proof of that at the moment, but you think that I talk too much, uh, this guy, and I'm not saying he talks too much. He's just very charismatic. And he would go out and just start talking to people and just introducing himself and, hey, you want to play ukulele? And, and next thing you know, and I was, I was like, hey, can we meet? Do you think we could meet and play? He's like, oh, I would love to do that. Where, where do you want to meet? I mean, and then the next thing you know, he's pulling people in. And it's like it just all happened so fast because of him. And uh, we, next thing you know, we got seven or eight people meeting at the shell. The very first time we met, we had seven, I think it was seven people, something like that, met at the Overton Park shell. Uh, inside historical note, Overton Park Shell was where Elvis did one of his first performances uh, back in the 50s. And so we met there and we played, had a great time. Y'all want to meet again next weekend? Sure. And we started meeting. And then by the by the winter time, uh, my friend Letty at the time, her husband had joined. His name's Jay Blunden. And, and both of those people would become integral with me uh, here not too long because we we were the organizers, started being the organizers for the uh, Memphis You Can Roll Festival that we have. Um, but towards that fall, we started, they were already going to this place in Midtown called The Grill, the Midtown Crossing Grill. And and uh, the, the the wonderful, wonderful lady named Octavia that owned it. Uh, and unfortunately, it, it went, it, she lost it during COVID. But um, we started meeting there and she was gracious enough to let us meet there and we met started meeting there and we went from seven or eight people to maybe 30. And then the next thing you know, within a year or so we had 50. And then I started doing free ukulele lessons every other month and I would get 50 more people here and 50 more people there. And before you know it, we had so many people we couldn't meet in the grill anymore. We had to go to where we are now, which is uh, a central barbecue and before COVID, we may have 130 people standing in there playing ukulele, and it's just—it's been—it's been a dream come true. It really has. But COVID has messed all that up, and my job schedule has changed. Um, I work longer hours than I used to work uh, in a different way, and so I can't meet every single Tuesday like I used to. Uh, I can only meet every other Tuesday, and I think some people are still scared to get out, uh, that kind of thing, and we've lost some people. I will say this with an open heart, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. They are like family to me, and I don't know how to explain it. it I was joking this last week uh, when we met. There's been some new people that came in, and I said, uh, my wife always says, you know, you ever wonder how those people that are in a cult and they don't realize they're in a cult? And I'm going, and I, and, and I said, that, you know, it's so funny, and I said, here you are. You come every week, you laugh, you have a great time, you can't wait till the next time we meet, you get here and you sing and you play. I said, now y'all can leave any time you want, but you got to admit, you know, I mean, it's like you come here religiously. And, and I said, you know, it's almost like we're in a cult, but it's hard to explain to someone, which I've done a thousand million times now. I said, they're like, well, so people just come and play. And I'm like, yeah, and we play and they get better playing or they don't or whatever. They sing, we have a good time. And, we have people that come every time the doors open. We have people that will never play a ukulele. They're older people uh, that come in. 
they're not going to play you for it. They just come in and sing because it's a good mm-hmm. time. And one of the promises that I made myself was that it would always be family friendly. I've tried to keep that promise, I, and, and I, try to, I try to keep that promise. I'm, I'm human. I mess up just like everybody else. Um, I say words I shouldn't say sometimes. But I want it to always be an environment where young people come in, and they can learn how to play, and they can have fun with us. And we treat them as much as we can as adults uh, and talk to them and have fun. And they can, I mean, if you ever see any of my videos, you may see one or two people just those kids come in and running around in there. That's what we want. We want that environment where they feel safe and they come in and they enjoy music. And hopefully uh, in the future, they'll have memories of, hey, we used to go to this place. It was so much fun. So, but it's hard to explain to somebody just how much fun it is. It's hard to explain somebody why you care as much as you do uh, because these people become like family members. And it's hard to explain to them. Well, you don't really know that person. Well, no, I know them. I know them now. And and well, and you you go help them move. I said I would help them do anything I could help. I said you just have to have something and understand it. So anyway, that's my that's my flash mob. I love them. Uh, we had to do a, uh, we have a festival coming up, and we had to the first festival was sponsored by the Memphis Ukulele Flash Mob. And under advisement, uh, we ended up, we had to do it differently this time. It's actually the Memphis Ukulele Group uh, because the way festivals are, you don't want something, if somebody gets, you know, if some insurance claim comes up, you don't want it against the, 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 the flash mob. So, I mean, I, all the stuff you learn after the fact, you know. But now, anyway. did, uh, did the flash mob come? after you'd already started leading elsewhere or did the the flash mob lead to leading elsewhere like doing you know like the well, grand northern uh festival or the the two harbors sorts of things well there's the chicken and there's the egg <laughs> uh, no 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 um all kidding aside flash mob is how i started leading so when flash mob really i mean so i when I went to Minnesota the first time, I was part of uh, Eustace Brown's. We had it. We well, Eustace Brown was my buddy, and he he said I should go up and check it out. And so they brought me on as a performer, and we we called ourselves Brother Eucharist, and we were doing old time gospel songs, and we led some songs and things like that. Um, but the Flash Mob, when I started participating in the Flash Mob, originally I wasn't the leader of the Flash Mob. We just all kind of met. And then after a while, a couple, like my, my buddy Jay and Letty, they, they, we were on, I think we were on Wednesday night. And they're like, well, it's summertime. We have a uh, scooter group where they rode, little, they rode motorcycles and scooters and things like that. It meets on Bill Street on Wednesday, so we're going to do that. So they dropped out. And then some other people said, yeah, we're not going to be here on Wednesday. I said, well, what, when could somebody anybody come? They're like, well, we could come on Tuesday. And at the time, I was... My neighbor, uh, we love our neighbors. Uh, they're they're like our best buddies and our friends now. Um, well, we just lost one of them. Um, but Tuesday night was the night we all went out to dinner. We took him to dinner for 15 years before he passed away. And so we switched that around. We made it so Tuesday was the night. And then I said, well, if I'm going to do this and I'm going to make it so people will come, then I'm going to start leading the group. And I'll be responsible then because I really wanted it to happen. That was that was the goal. The goal was to have a group to play with, and if that was what it meant, if it meant me getting off my backside 
and arranging the music or I mean or getting music and stuff because if if those of you that have never formed a group or been in a group when you first get together with groups i highly suggest you make some guidelines meaning where's your music coming from is someone going to lead the group you need to have one person that in my mind one person that will lead and then you'll have a backup or maybe two of them that lead and you can share but regardless what happens is, is if you don't have any guidelines people come in and you'll say okay we're going to play Folsom Folsom prison tonight and one person got it off the internet and it's in c another person got it off the internet and it's in g and nobody has the same thing or somebody will bring three copies of it and, and there's not enough for everybody to see and and so when i went to minnesota they had been arranging their own music up there. And one of the songs that I stole from them at the time, so I could figure it out. While you're thinking of it, I'll just add, it was it was taken with permission. It wasn't stolen. It was taken no, with permission. No, I stole it. I stole it. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it, but it's, uh, what is it? What is, ain't going to study war no more. Down by the Riverside. So Charles, Charles had done a wonderful version of that. And, I got with him and I said, I really, I see what you've done here. And I really need to do that for my group. And it's a little embarrassing for me, but one of the reasons that I even got into arranging. So when I started guiding the group, I said, okay, we're all going to play out of the yellow book. And, and, and if you're a ukulele player, you know immediately what I'm talking about. The Daily Ukulele, one of the best books ever written. He's, he's one of my heroes. And we're going to play out of the Daily Ukulele. And so... As we were going along, people people would play. We'd pick a song. We'd play, having a good time. And if not, a new person would come in, they would share, and they would get them a new book. I'd say, hey, you can get it for 19 bucks off of eBay. Here you go, whatever. And then we had a couple people come in that two, three, four people that they couldn't afford it. And so I bought it for them. I said, hey, look, I got your present this week. You know, if they kept coming, I'd buy them a book. And, and so... One particular time we had a lady come in and she had been coming for about three weeks, whatever, and I bought her a book. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I gave her the book and she stood up and she throws it on the table. She's like, why would you do this? And I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, hey, I, I'm just going to, you know, you can use it when you're here if you want to. Yeah. And she's like, why would you, why would you embarrass me like this? And I'm like, I don't mean to embarrass you. And she goes, you know, I can't afford this. They all know I can't afford it. And you're going to buy this for me. And it was, it was actually, I had humiliated her. Hmm. And it was detrimental to me because it had totally just destroyed me for the day because I would never hurt anyone's feelings on purpose. And it taught me a lesson. And the lesson was that sometimes people have a lot of pride, me too. And so what this allowed me to do in my own mind was, instead of giving somebody a book when they come in, I give them a sheet of paper. Hey, here's what we're doing today. And so immediately when I saw Down by the Riverside and all these other songs they were doing, and I talked to Charles, and I realized what they're doing, in my mind I'm like, I can give them a piece of paper every time they come in, and they can keep those pieces of paper, and I will arrange it. And it doesn't bother them that I've given them a piece of paper. Uh, and it didn't. I, next time, I mean, she came in, um, She's like, what are these pieces of paper? And I said, well, we're doing something a little different now. We're playing from, I'm arranging songs and we're all playing these songs but we're all playing together. Here, here's your sheet of paper. And she had no problem with it. And so that's when I started arranging songs. I, uh, Charles told me how he did it. He told me his format. Uh, Charles even gave me some chords to begin with. And I 
down the road, I created what I needed. I did what I had to do, and I've been doing it ever since. And so what happened was I was doing two or three songs a week maybe, and we would play them. And before you know it, you got 50, 60 songs uh, in, in arranged, and people would bring them in, and I would have a stash of them in case somebody, you know. So I started realizing, well, I kind of got a little book. And then about that time, people were getting devices, and they were getting iPads and all those kind of things. And I said, hey, I'm going to put this in PDF form. And once you put it on your device, and we'll use it that way. And so a lot of people are like, yeah, let's do that. Way. So I said, all right, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will go online, and I'll make it available online so you can get it from there. And by the time I went online, I had, I don't know, I probably had 80 pages the first one that I did. And it's actually PD Mac 2. Oh, is it? Yeah, they that it's PD Max too. That first web page that you just posted, uh, I guess because I wasn't paying for a, a web page, I'm going to say this about Weebly. Uh, I tried to access it to to update my book and they wouldn't let me access it. I wrote letters. I've done everything. I ended up having to pay for a a web page, and it's PD Max two dot Weebly. Um, so and they won't let me take it down either. I've written. I'm like, well, let me take this one down, and. Anyway, like that, right? Uh, that's it. Exactly. All right. So, but anyway, I started, I put that first book out there and people would go and download it. And I started getting people from, like, I would post it on Facebook, say, Hey, I got this book if you want it. And that started that I started doing jam sessions and we were posting videos of us, you know, jamming at the grill. I'd go live, things like that. And that's what started getting me jobs having jam sessions and that's what got me jobs out there people wanting me to come play at festivals and things like that uh was through the flash mob it's all through the flash mob um i couldn't have done it without them it all started because of that it all started because of those seven people and so i just kept arranging music and making a bigger book and i will tell you this because you get stats when you go in on the page and i've been i've had a book online since 2015 i think it was 2000 late 2015 if i had gotten one dollar because i won't i won't ever charge money for it just because of the lady that the memory of the lady who i offended greatly um i'll always just let it be free anybody can have it you can you can share it with anybody you can do whatever you want it's free it will always be free but if I'd gotten one dollar a download, I could have paid off my whole house years ago. Wow! And yeah, just one dollar a download, and because every time I put a new book out, people from all over the world get it. And it's not—I mean, it's—it's it's a nice book. It's—I think I, you know, I did my best with it. There's a lot better books out there, and uh, you know, uh, uh, Jim Belong's book is a fantastic book. All of his books are fantastic books to have too. But just this one—I mean, a part of it has to do with it. It's free, so I, I get that they're like, "Well, it's free. I'm just going to go get one of those." And but there's some other books out there that we know about. Uh, Jim's book, uh, "Odds Toss the Dogs." I mean, they they he's got 2,500 different songs in his book. Uh, he's been working for years. And then, uh, Jim Carrey, he he's been working for years on his book. But uh, it all started with the Flash Mob. It all started with Jake me learning how to play, but as far as me getting to go sing and be a jam leader and all that kind of stuff, uh, I'm pretty much over the top personality wise, so that all felt just 
kind of fell into place. Now, what places, I, I, I mean, I was thinking about where I've seen you go. I know you've been down to Florida. You've done Arkansas. Obviously, you've done Memphis because you've done the, 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 the you can roll there. You've done Minnesota. You've done Nova Scotia. You've done Great Britain. You've done Hawaii. What other places am I forgetting on where you've led? Well, Nova Scotia, I didn't perform. I went okay. there just for the festival, so I can't claim that one. Um, but I've been to I've been to Pennsylvania, I've been to Kentucky, I've been to Minnesota, like you said, Arkansas, I've been to Georgia, um, did I say Florida? Florida. Uh, I went to went to England. I went to Hawaii. Which I don't get the Hawaii one. I told them too when they were hiring me. I said, you know, you're the land of ukuleles. You have everybody and their brother that's all there. It was and such such an honor, and I mean that wholeheartedly. Such an honor for them to go, hey, come over here and play ukulele. And I'm like, really? Yeah, I will. But uh, and I got that to take my wife. That was the funniest thing, Pete, too, because nobody will know this, but my wife and I went there for my 50th birthday celebration in March. And we land, and I'd been communicating with, with Craig Chilabit to see if I could just run into him because he's one of the ukulele teachers that I really jive with, his his approach and his mindset. And then found out that you were there. You posted on Facebook, and I'm like, what? And you were like a mile away from us, and then we yeah, couldn't work it out yeah. to even say hi. But it was like, what? And, and you know... <laughs> yeah, just insane. And long story short is that I, I know Pete not only thanks to Silver Creek, but also with my connection with Eukster, who I consider a friend too. And I've had a chance to go down to, to Tennessee to see you guys. And we want to do that again sometime. That was a great, it's a great wow. city to visit. We are in love with yes. Gus's fried chicken. Got to admit it. <laughs> it is, it's our number one of, our, it's like one of our number one spots to go to in the world. It's, it's that yeah. good. We talk about it. Um, but just we've had a chance to sit in. My wife, who's musical, doesn't always get into the ukulele stuff, but she had a great time at, you know, the Central Barbecue Uke Jam, the the, the Tuesday oh, yeah. night. Love having um, you. Love just, it was just the joy. So everything you've done, I wanted to, we've gone longer than I ever intended to, to hold you. That always happens. Are I you willing you, to I talk, talk way about... Too much. Your influence, well, no, that's not the problem. I'm just afraid of your time. But are you willing to share the story about how outdoor ukulele has its current shape? Because I think you were integral in that. Uh, well, I, I mean, I don't know if I'm crossing any lines or anything like that. But they asked Yeah, that's me why my, I, I want to ask safely. Yeah, and if I need well, to, I can cut this out well, of the, the discussion. But. Let, let's let's just put it this way. Let's put it this way. So the gentleman that owns years ago when he, he did his first soprano, um, he contacted me because he liked the video that I did, and I, I I've grown to just really care for him. He's a wonderful guy. I do. He's a wonderful guy. And when he was doing his tenor ukulele, he asked me, without naming any names, uh, he asked me what my favorite ukulele was I had at the time, and so. I got my favorite ukulele and we talked about it and I gave him measurements and uh, things off that one ukulele. And so a lot of, a lot of that one ukulele was, was put into the concept for the current one that he uses. And so it's really kind of cool in the long run uh, to look at that and go, Hey, I had something to do with that. 
And and he, I mean, he's as humble as they come. He's a great guy. Um, and 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 just to be honest, he he has he has given me a, a he has given me some some ukuleles too. Um, but just to look at that that tenor and realize that hey, I actually had this much of something to do with it, and it just makes you happy. You know, it makes you happy. And uh, uh, he's got a great product. Uh, and I, I get no, was it? I get no money or anything like that for saying this. It's just I support him wholeheartedly, and the things that he has brought uh, to the, the the people just being able to play the ukuleles outside in extreme heat, especially here in the south, uh, and, and the cold, and being able to play an instrument like that, and not have to worry about its ultimate demise to the to the to the elements. Uh, I, I just I have a lot of respect for him. I really do. Did you so, ever get one of the banjos that he makes? I have a banjo. Okay. I have a That's... banjo. I have a and, and and what's funny about it is I play it. I, I put, like I said, I play all my instruments. That thing is so loud. That is the loudest. That is the loudest instrument. And I have to put uh, to his credit. I have to put a mute in the back. So it's so funny. But uh, yeah, I've got a banjo and I love it. I absolutely love it. I don't I don't play it as often as I should. Let me put it that way, but I don't think I play all my instruments as often as I should. I have too many. Which is really funny because I I have to call myself a collector because if I don't, we know that I I just have way too many. But uh everybody that's one of the questions. Anywhere I go, they're like, Well, how many use do you have? And I'm like, I, I don't know. And I don't have a I don't have a huge amount, but I really don't know exactly how many I have. And but there's use that I will never get rid of. Um, let me give you a for instance real quick. I have mm -hmm. a ukulele. If you ever come down, I mean, I'll let you see it. Um, Sun Studios here in town is, is, they call it the birthplace of rock and roll. Sun Studios is where Jerry Lee Lewis and, and Johnny Cash, uh, Carl Perkins, Elvis Presley, Roy Orbison. Uh, I could start naming a bunch of names. These people all got their start through Sun Studios. And as in any recording studio, they have, studio instruments and there was a lady anybody out there gets a chance look up this lady uh the name of the song was i need a man i think was the name of it i can't her name is elizabeth or something i'm forgetting everything at the moment <laughs> but she was played she played rockabilly okay and one of my co-workers son was doing studio music and he got done and they said uh he said you got anything else i could do to make some money he goes, yeah, let's, let's clean out the basement. So here, go down there. And they had these two ukuleles down there. And they, they were horrible. Uh, they were just filled with all kinds of crap. And the one that I had almost looked like a mouse that lived in it. And, um, but it's, it's an old harmony from the 50s with a plastic fretboard. And I'm like, this is a 50s ukulele. And, and he, so the son got it. And he said, uh, you want me to throw these away? He goes, yeah, they're, they're just beginning nothing instruments. You can, said, do you want them? He goes, well, sure. And he brought them to me uh, and his mother. And one of them was a plastic uh, flamingo, flamingo, I think it's flamingo, whatever it was. I mean, I'm sure they were all made by, by Mastro or one of those. And it had a tuner on the top. That they had a, 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 a tuner that you would blow through so you could get the right chords. And, I mean, string sound and tune your instrument and it had out somebody inscribed like they had done a signature i think it was elizabeth 
And we looked it up, and that was the lady that did Rockabilly. Huh. And oddly enough, speaking of my brother, uh, my brother recently had just done this lady's funeral. And she had passed away. And I said, Vern, I found this. And some way it does Rockabilly. And Elizabeth goes, I just did a funeral. She just passed away not that long ago. And, and in the 80s, here's this rock and roll grandma over doing Rockabilly in England. They all wanted to come over and, and perform. So in the, in, the, in the 1980s, she was performing still over in England doing Rockabilly. But so this plastic ukulele had her name on it. And this other one that was there, uh, I looked everywhere to see if Elvis had signed, you know, signature on it or anything. I did everything I could to try to, uh, and I ran into a couple of musicians, and it's just a little soprano, just a little soprano with a plastic fretboard, and it has that that kind of tiger stripe look on it. And um, I ran into a, a musician that had been part of, uh, he was a drummer, and he had been part of some studios studio musicians from the late 50s, 60s, 70s, into the 80s. And they would call him in for studio work. And he looked right at it and he goes, man, that thing sat on the, pan- on the piano for years. He said it was there from the 50s on. And he said, he said someone, he said, he said it was there. He said, I said, I always remember sitting on the piano. I was like, so it was there. I can't say that Elvis played it. I can't prove Elvis played it, but it was in the room with him, and I've got it hanging on my, my wall back here. So it's just one of those cool stories, man. I got a ukulele out of some studio sitting back there. So that was in the same room as Elvis. <laughs> I, I there's no pictures, but I always go through when it, somebody comes out with new pictures of Elvis in some studio. I always search the room to look see if that ukulele is sitting somewhere. And if I ever get that picture, if I ever find that picture, it's going to be on the wall behind the. The little ukulele hanging up. I got it hanging up back there. It still plays really good. Well, there's the message. If anybody has a picture from Sun Studios when Elvis is recording and you can see an ukulele sitting on the piano in that picture, <laughs> let us know in yeah. the comments and we will track you down and try to get a copy of that. That'd be cool. That's right. That's right. And if anybody out there has a picture of him playing a ukulele in Sun Studios, that's the one. I pro- and and uh, so have you ever looked up his his side side thing real quick? Have you ever looked up Elvis? Um, uh, his Martin ukulele went on sale from that he used in uh, Aloha, uh, Aloha, um, it was Hawaii. So he had this little little Martin ukulele, and the guy he gave, Elvis being the guy he was, it wasn't his ukulele; it was the studio. He even had the studio's name on the back. It wasn't his. But he ended up giving it to some prop guy that he loved at the time he was, you know, friends with. He said, "Yeah, yeah, you can have this ukulele," and and which is funny because here's Elvis giving somebody something that wasn't even his, but he's like, "Yeah, you can have it, take it off." And the guy supposed to have it his whole life, and then after he passed away, uh, his children found it and they, they put it up for auction. And I, I, I know it went for a good amount of money, you know, but you knew they said you knew it was the original because it had the studios on the back and on the front. It didn't say Martin, it was covered over because uh, Colonel Tom didn't want to pay them for the licensing to have Martin ukulele in the, in the film or something like that, which is very typical of him, I guess. So anyway, I have kept you an hour, sir. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I want to end with two little things. I just want to let you know. First of all, um, I always use Rubber Ducky as one of my 
sound samples because sure. there was a time when you were demonstrating a lot of ukuleles. You know, there's a time and you don't have to do, do that that much anymore. I mean, you'll show off your your new instrument like the, the right. banana just came. But um, my thought when I started making my reviews was that I would use some of the things that I had seen people reviewing all their other instruments that they could listen. So like I'll use Barry Maz's couple of songs too. I mean, I do a little sequence where I do like six or seven sure. short songs and Rubber Ducky is one of them right in there, just so you know. So that's one way that you've <laughs> massively influenced me. And another one, after we went to Memphis, my wife and I, you know, we went down to Memphis, uh, left, left our boys with my parents and came on down and spent a few days down there. Um, we did not go to the top of the pyramid, by the way. We we that thought about it, but yeah. yeah, but we didn't go up to the, you know, the lookout. So who was, was afraid of heights? Well, no, just, I think it cost money or something. And we were just it like, it's it it like 10 mm. bucks a pop. It was like, yeah. eh, I don't know. Is it worth it? Maybe we will after seeing, because I think you had Mike McQueen and his wife and maybe their kids up and you guys, I remember you guys all going up there. I was like, ah, oh, maybe we should have done that. Um, <laughs> but um, when we went down there, um, I sat through, you know, I sat, I'd already seen you at Silver Creek, obviously to know down to come to go, to go down and to see what you guys were doing. And on your song sheets, you do baritone as well as soprano concert, you know, tenor, GCA, and DGB right. tuning. I give the and two options. I literally left from that one. And not only did I do, like, there's a, a Memphis Jug Band song or something that you mm -hmm. had done that. I made that a play along in the play along channel. But right. starting that week, when I started making new play alongs on the channel that earns no revenue on that, that you play alongs channel, Wish it did. There are videos with like 2 million views that make nothing except for YouTube and the copyright holder. <laughs> um, I could probably pay off a house <laughs> if a couple of those videos would be monetized. But anyway, starting after seeing that and realizing the importance of the baritone, I started making playlongs for baritone with every new video that I made. And that was that was a result of watching you work and work in an environment where there were both baritone and and standard players. Because in most of my ukulele world stuff to that point, it had only been GCA tuning, you know. Right. And in fact, in some of them, I won't I won't throw out names or, or situations. The baritone was almost looked down upon in some ukulele. Yeah, groups. I never understood that. I think that's changed too. I think that's changed even by some of the people that used to look down at it. I now know now are playing baritone, which is really cool to me. But that, so those are a couple of ways that you've directly influenced, literally directly influenced what I do. And I mean, other than just your joy of life, the, the, I mean, really the joy of life, the joy of music, making it a happy place, um, your ability to be a self-proclaimed goober, you know, and just be Most people don't know what a goober is either. So no, you'll have to explain I mean, that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's easy to people, most people in the South anymore don't know what it is. So a long time ago, a goober was a name in this area for a peanut. So a goober was a peanut. And so, or and hence, a goober is a nut. And so I always tell people I'm a goober. And so after this whole COVID thing, um, I had a, a lot of a larger group of friends and they would call themselves goobers. And and it was all because 
we, I mean, we're all nuts. I mean, that's basically what it comes down to, but that's, it's joy of life. It's, it's, to me, it's, it's almost, you can almost wrap spirituality in it if you want to. Uh, the baritone, you were talking about the baritone. I think the reason you see a lot more uptick in the baritone is because you see a lot of people coming off of a guitar mm-hmm. and they, they're familiar with that sound and they're familiar with the chord structure and it's easier for them to transition to a baritone. So you see a lot of people coming off of a guitar playing, playing ukulele and that's what they play. And I think some people have made it more popular too, really. But for me, so I enjoy it because you get the bass. Um, mm-hmm. You get a standard ukulele with re entrant tuning. You don't get that bass feel. And so the baritone brings that bass out. And there's some songs that just sound fantastic. In. It just does. But, um, well, let me tell you this real quick. And then, we'll, then I, well, I'm going to say, hey. Yeah, we got to end, I'll yes. I'll catch you long enough. So, <laughs> which I could literally sit here and talk all day. Um, and if you haven't figured that out, I really can sit and talk all day. Uh, <laughs> we have a festival coming up in 2024, if that's okay. It's April 18th through the 21st in Memphis. Oh, wrong one. Thanks. This one. That's okay. There it right. is. And it's available. We have tickets available. If you'd like to come join me, I would love for you to come and visit. Uh, it's going to be a blast. It's Thursday through Sunday. We have a we have a gospel throwdown on Sunday. Start off uh, uh, the festivities on Thursday night uh, with some sing-alongs and Groups sing alongs, people from different places here locally are going to be performing uh, or in the area. We have some people, uh, different groups uh, coming in and performing. And I'm excited. If anybody would like to come, visit that webpage, come visit me. Uh, tickets are $135 for a four day festival, and that includes uh, a goodie bag and, and a t shirt and, uh, and a barbecue meal. So, love to see you. That's awesome, Petey. Well, Petey, I appreciate your time so much. Thank you. I mean, and I know I could just talk to you for hours just with, because I know you have so many stories about just things in general, you know. Um, but, and again, we went way over what we were ever going to do. So I, I, I really appreciate your time. I'm sure the listeners do too. Again, if anybody has a picture of Elvis playing an ukulele in that sun studio. Or I need to go run and get it real quick so you can see it. <laughs> let us know. Please let us know in the comments because we would love to track that down. And it's amazing. Yeah. Sometimes you can crowdsource that stuff. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Somebody found it. Yep. It'd be fantastic. All right. Thanks, B, for joining us. Thank you, everybody, Thanks. for listening. Thank you for asking. It's always yep. a joy to see you. And we'll be Come back. visit. Yeah, we definitely will. All right. Thanks, B. <laughs> Thank you. You take care, bud. All right.